And apparently now you need to list your home on Airbnb because it's a hot <laughs> commodity. <laughs> they have to like the dogs. That's the issue. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie and Larry Sklar, owners of the B&B. <laughs> not a bad Blood idea. Blood home. Not a bad idea. Hey, friends. This is a special series of conversations with Correa. Over the next few episodes, you're going to hear from people who experienced Hurricane Harvey in Houston. We're starting big, think big picture, with what was happening all across the area. And then with each episode that follows, we're going to zoom in on what it was like for people in their own homes. I truly encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. That way you can listen to the conversation evolve. This is a special series because August 27th, 2018, marks the one-year anniversary of the deadly and destructive flooding brought on by this unpredictable hurricane that slammed a swath of the Texas coast. Thousands and thousands of people needed to be rescued from their homes, and without knowing the depth of their impact, Houston couple Larry and Jackie Sklar did. They just did what they could to help in one incredible way. Out of all the stories I've reported, I've heard, I've shared on social media, never, never in the last year had I heard a story quite like the Sklar's, empty nesters who've been married 36 years. Hi, my name is Jackie Sklar, and we live in the Meyerland area. I'm Larry Sklar. He also lives in the Meyerland. I live right next to Jackie Sklar. Larry and Jackie Sklar have lived in Meyerland, a neighborhood in southwest Houston, for years and years. And during the last three years, there's a pretty good chance you've seen images of Meyerland in the news. At this point, the community is notorious for flooding. Flooded on Memorial Day 2015, flooded on Tax Day 2016, and when Harvey's rain bands began to swirl over Houston in August 2017. Well, take a guess as to what happened next. Uh, Saturday night, when it was obvious we were going to have problems in Meyerland, Jackie spent uh, quite a bit of time walking around the house photographing every closet, every piece of furniture, everything on the wall. You were terrified. Because, mm-hmm. Yeah, because we've been Meyerland, we've been fortunate, but Meyerland's had three floods in three years, and we've got a lot of friends and family that um, have a lot of experience in trying to document what they lost. So to prepare for that, we did what we could, which was take pictures because we're, if water comes in, it's all gone. So we did a lot of that, which didn't you know, help a lot with um, keeping us calm and not worried. So... Now we're prepared. Yeah, let's pause there because I know exactly what you're talking about. I had worked all day Saturday and had gotten home maybe around 9 or 10 o'clock that night, Saturday night. And, um, And I'm watching, and I live along White Oak Bayou. And so I'm watching Brooks Garner say, if you live along Wine Oak Bayou, it's 10 feet from cresting. And it was just total panic mode. And I live alone. And so I went through my home and it was literally like, I've got a limited amount of raised space, tables, counters, shelves in the closets, bathrooms. What do I need the most? What will matter most? And in the end, it was a few things that I had inherited from my parents or my grandparents, things like that, passed down pictures, important documents. 
And that is so sad, right? When you have to go through and yep. essentially yep. pick because you f- fear impending doom. Yes, yes. I mean, you look around your house and you go, okay, well, that's just stuff. That's just materialistic. But then, like you said, the sentimental value of some things is just, you know, the priceless aspect of that. And you're looking around going, okay, well, I can put that up. I can, I mean, you start really looking at your house and go, okay, well, where, you know, what can we sacrifice? Yeah. Okay. We don't care about the couches. Let's start putting stuff on top of couches. Let's load up the shelves that are already full with stuff, with more stuff. And then the fear of missing something that you've hidden away or, you know, it's not something you see every day, but it might have like you said, belong to your parents or your grandparents. It's, it's a really, it's a feeling of desperation, really. And, and, you know, since we hadn't flooded before, you know, I, I didn't know if we were overreacting. Yeah. You know, uh, we were talking to family who live in other cities and other states, and they're, you know, like, do you, do you need to leave? Do you know, like, no, I, I think we're going to be okay. It's never happened before. But watching the water get higher and higher, it's like, well, you know, maybe this is that first time for everything kind right. of happening and so it, it, it was a it's just so stressful it's just a really stressful feeling and it's and it's one where you want to be cautious but you don't want to lose it and I remember what you know my parents were calling me they live in South Texas they live five hours away from here and of course they're watching it on the news there and at one point everybody thought that that her, Harvey was going to hit down in South Padre Island and so they were kind of prepared and ready and then nothing hit them. But I remember talking on the phone and I tried to say as calmly as I could because I knew that I was going to be working this whole time. I said, listen, I live along the bayou. They're all taking in water right now. There's a good chance they may flood. I, um, I won't know what my home is like. If I need help, can you come and help me? Like, what does your work week look like? You know, I'm, I'm trying to have that conversation and I don't want to panic my parents because God bless our parents. They love us so much. But then I'm thinking, how am I going to clean up? Well, you know, and so you're just in this scenario of unknown. When the rain is falling, it's dark outside. You can't see anything. You just hear it not stopping. It takes your breath away a little. It does. And, you know, we've had so many, living in this neighborhood, we had so many friends and family members that did flood, whether it was their first time or their third time. And, you know, we feel for them, you know, in some ways, you know, maybe a little guilty because why didn't we flood? And our street had never had any houses flood before, but randomly there were a few in the middle that did flood. Well, why them and not us? And so the the days following that, we, we did what we could to help either. I did a lot of packing. He became an expert sheetrock cutter going from house to house and helping. But, you know, I... I don't know how we were so lucky, but, you know, that that stress that we had, you know, a couple days later, we knew we were going to be okay. And then you're like, now what do we need to do? Where do we go from here? But, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we've just been so fortunate, but it was really close. It was right at the front door, and, you know, we, we feel like that Monday where it stopped raining for about three to four hours, if it hadn't done that, water would have been in our house, but somebody was looking down on us and we watched the water recede and we were okay after that. So it was just 
really an amazing experience. It really was. And so you all spend Saturday night packing, going over things, making sure you've got your documents probably in Ziploc bags, Larry. And then at some point, do you all go to sleep? Do you all watch the news? Uh, watch the news, tried to go to sleep. The rain, as you know, was so loud and, and ferocious. It was hard to sleep. And, and keeping an eye on uh, the street in front of us, we live next to Chimney Rock. Um, we're on Chimney Rock, so the bayou is right next to us. And right. looking. I really, I'm, I'm going to go keep going back to this like overnight experience because I really just want to know from your neighborhood and your perspective what it was like. So the rain was relentless. We knew it was rising at any point in time overnight between Saturday night and the time the sun came up on Sunday. Did you all hear choppers, rescue boats, vehicles? Did you hear people evacuating? Like, what did the neighborhood activity level seem like? We didn't hear anything Saturday night. I don't recall. Not overnight. Not Not during the nighttime period. I don't Um, think people really understood how move. bad it was yeah. until the sun came up. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you realize that people were in trouble. So who, really was the fir- trouble. who was the first one to walk out of the house? Oh, I was, for oh. sure. <laughs> At what time? And, do you even remember? Oh, probably five in the morning. Okay. And and I hadn't slept a lot. And, and I knew it was going on in the neighborhood. I, I'm kind of a, a hack weather guy. I, ca- I call him, we all call him our weather geek. So, um, um, but Do you it, want a job at KHOU? No. I no. tell him he missed his calling. He no, loves I, talking about weather. He but I do weather. watch the um, the flood gauges all around the city yeah. very closely, and we have one at Chimney Rock, I'm sorry, at Rice and Brazewood, which is probably a quarter of a mile away or so, a third of a mile from here. So it's very easy to sit on my phone while this is happening and see how high the bayou is and when it's going over. So, you know, as I'm seeing it going up incredibly fast compared to past experiences... You know, that's what kept me from going to sleep. Although, again, knowing there's nothing I could do about it. So, um, no, I got up very early in the morning, um, about five in the morning. I actually, I snapped a photo of some neighbors of ours that live about four bo- blocks closer to Brazewood. Walking down Chimney Rock had to be waist deep in water with a couple of backpacks, a dog on their shoulder. And they told me they were walking down closer to Willow Bend where they had some friends that had a two-story house and they were going to go you know, stay there for the day because they couldn't stay in their house any longer. And and that was about five in the morning. And Those were it, the first, that was the first sign of evacuees you had seen. Mm-hmm. It sounds apocalyptic. Yeah. It, it was a strange sight and, and heartbreaking. I mean, these people had a dog, I mean, a big dog and carrying them on their shoulder, a backpack, husband, wife, and their high school son, you know, just walking down Chimney Rock waist deep trying to get out of the, the flooded area. How old did the couple look? They're all they're, right. They're, they're, uh, yeah, somewhere mm-hmm. 55 to 60. What was, <coughs> what was their mood like? They were very down, very, de- yeah, they were not, we'll get through this. They were, they were, we're done. You know, they'd probably flooded two or three times before as well. Yeah, they, they were, you could see the exhaustion. Oh, yeah, they were sort of a downtrodden. I'm sure they had spent all night um, watching the water come into their house. I mean, we didn't have water, but my sister lives um, almost on the corner of Brazewood and Chimney Rock, and... You know, in past years when it's flooded, they've spent all night sitting on their bed trying to stay above the water. I'm sure this family sat on their countertops in their kitchen, you know, while it was coming up and then said, we got to get out. Who knows how high it's going to get? I mean, it's got to be heartbreaking. Yeah, just a devastating. Do you know what happened to them? Well, they went to friends and stayed in their house for a while and they've since sold their house and moved out of the neighborhood. 
and that's why I think they had been flooded two times before, so it was their third and And that's what's so sad when people and they were longtime residents. They they just they can't deal with it anymore and then they just I don't know how leave. your mind could handle that. Well, horrible mm-hmm. to see it. You know, his sister. That- and for people, we in Houston know Myerland floods. But for the people who are not in Houston who are listening to this, when you say these homes have flooded three times, don't spare me. Like, give me all the details. What is it like for a home in Myerland to flood three times? What are you going through? I mean, the first time, I think, it, I'm sure that it's just shock. I well, mean, you see the water creeping in, it, you know, and it's just like, okay, well... Is that it? Is it going to stop? And then it just keeps coming, coming, and I yeah. just can't. I just can't even. I'll say, imagine. I think, and and you know, f- water in your house varies from um, a few inches, which is still all your floors, all your baseboards, probably all your furniture is yeah. ruined. Um, for those closer to the bayou, again, my sister and and her example. I mean, after um, the Memorial Day flood, um, and then again with Harvey. Um, yeah, I mean, t- you have to picture in your head water in your house over your kitchen countertops. I mean, that high all the way throughout your house and uh, furniture floating from one room to the next. And um, this is gross water. Oh, it's just full of debris. Oh, it's, it's all coming su- it's in bayou total. water. It's gross. It's bayou water. Um, you know, uh, refrigerators laying on their side, um, you know, mattresses from beds somehow you know sitting up sideways up against a wall i mean it's it's not just a little water like you're sloshing around it's it's dangerous level of water and then after that it's contending with insurance companies with fema with any way because who has enough money stacked up to replace their entire home to begin with and then to do it three times three times and so larry you're like talking to these people who sound like a scene out of the walking dead really you know they're we've got limited stuff a dog on their shoulders high school son the wear and tear of flooding in houston is on their face and is that the only thing you see then what comes up the road um i think a couple of people went by on kayaks that were some i assume from the neighborhood um so a couple of kayakers went by and that was early though five or six in the morning at that point um and then it was a little later in the morning when, um, you know, we started hearing more activity. And I, I remember hearing uh, lots of helicopters. Um, uh, they were the orange ones. I don't remember if they were National Guard or, or what, but a lot of helicopters right over the neighborhood uh, for hours, hours. Um, and we knew several people, friends of ours, that were taken out of their house in baskets um, up to a helicopter. And um, Wow. Uh, so that activity went on for quite a long time. And then, um, you know, as the day progressed, I mean, it didn't get any better. There wasn't any more activity until we started seeing some of the first responders in the area. And they rolled up looking like what? Looking like, what do we do with these people? Um, you know, they, they were doing everything they could to get them out of a dangerous situation. Um, um, you know, I think, as you mentioned in the, uh, with the Bainbridges, um, you know, finding people in their second floor waving, you know, a, a towel trying to get attention. Um, I, I, we know a couple of people, elderly couple, that spent the whole night in their attic. Um, in their attic. Uh, you know, and, and um, you know, they're trying to do the best they can to get these people out of harm's way. Now they got them out of a really bad situation, but they don't, you know, what's the next move? And long before the George R. Brown had opened, um, there wasn't really any, even if they'd been open, I don't know how people could have gotten there. So, yeah. Um, 
you know, it was get them out of the immediate danger. We'll figure out a plan. And thank goodness they're creative. And, you know, they, they uh, you know, just kept looking for a solution. So the backstory on the shelter situation around noon on Sunday, August 27th, Harris County set up shelters at some schools and churches in Houston suburbs. At the same time, the city tapped a downtown convention center, the George R. Brown or GRB, to take people in. But with the fourth largest city in the country underwater, the shelters were one thing. Getting people to the shelter was another. And getting rescue crews to all of those trapped families was something else. Again, the shelters opened around noon. Going back to Larry and Jackie's experience, they're seeing people wading flood water as early as 5 a.m. By 6 a.m., six hours before any shelter is even available, they're watching Houston police barrel down the river of a street. I mean, because now we know Houston police had the foresight to come to Meyerland knowing the history right. of this neighborhood. Right. And so they come with some of the first rinky-dinky boats they have, as we now know. And they're literally bracing rapids on these bayous that run through your neighborhood and are knocking on doors. Like at this point in time in the day, there's still the courtesy of knocking on people's yeah. doors to ask them if they want to be rescued right later in the day. People were just ready and waiting. And then you realize it's so early in the morning. You're right. There are no shelters and they've got to go back for more people. And so HPD rolls up on your neighborhood, rolls up on your home, and they say, what? Well, um, it was kind of a coincidence how it started. Uh, we took our dog out. I took our dog out to the chimney rock side of our house. Couldn't get out on the front porch. Yeah, we couldn't get out on the front porch, and she's little, and she wouldn't go to the bathroom because the backyard was flooded also. So I thought, well, I should just take her to the garage side and be under the eave, and maybe she would go to the bathroom. And I stepped out and the water was about three inches up to our garage door, up our driveway and kind of beaten on the garage door. And it had never been that high before. Water had never gone up the slope driveway in either of the other two floods. And I got on my phone, I was FaceTiming our son who lives in Katy and I was just, I was just saying, you have to see this. You have to see the water all the way from our driveway, all the way completely to the other side of Chimney Rock as a solid lake. And I'm, I'm FaceTiming him. And all of a sudden, I see this boat coming down Chimney Rock. So I said, look, I got to call you back. So I called Larry inside the house and said, you've got to come see this. And in between the time I called him to come out, the boat had gotten pretty close to our driveway. And one of the officers asked me, if we had water in our house. And I said, no, we're, we're okay. And he said, can these people come into your, to your home until we can transport them somewhere else? And I was like, sure. And these people look like what? Oh my gosh. Exhausted, confused as far as what, what was going to be the next step. It was three different families. The first boat. Yeah. On the first boat, on the very first boat that had spent the night inside the HEB at Chimney Rock in South Braisewood, up on the checkout stands. They literally had to get themselves into the store. Up on the checkout. Up on the checkout stands. And there were three different families. It was a mom with two young girls, and then a grandmother with an infant and about an eight-year-old grandson, and then a woman maybe about our age and her mom 
And uh, actually, the officer said, well, there's two dogs and a cat on this boat. And I said, we have three dogs. It's fine. Bring them in. And so they all came into the house. They were wet. They were tired. They had to use the bathroom. They were hungry and thirsty. And so everybody came in and, you know, brought them drinks and chips, whatever I could scrounge up for them to eat, gave, you know, fed the dogs. And, and um, you know, they just kind of settled here. And I, I just... These were, these were our neighbors. I mean, we didn't know them personally, but these were our neighbors who could not get home. They, whether they went to HEB to get last minute food or whether they just were trying to get home, they couldn't get home and realized I got to get somewhere and the HEB was there and that HEB is flooded three times too. And so it's like my heart just melted for them. I was just yeah. like, I, could, I just couldn't even imagine. So I'm like, we always have a lot of stuff in the pantry and a lot of drinks. So we're like passing out, you know, food and stuff. And um, at that point, like like Larry said, you know, the George R. Brown wasn't open yet. You know, one of the women was trying to find a hotel to go to that would accept her animals. You know, and it's, who knew if the hotels were either open, available, yeah. could they get to them? There was just so much uncertainty at that moment. But they were safe. You know, they were here. They were safe. We didn't have water in our house. So then at that point, that's when I guess the, that was the HPD dive team that brought them there. And then it was the SWAT team whose armored vehicle had found a high spot at, in a Kroger parking lot and realized that they could bring people to that parking lot. So we were really in a, in just really kind of a perfect spot because the boats really couldn't go much further down south on Chimney Rock because right. it would start to get a little too shallow for the boats. And those armored vehicles, they really couldn't go much north on Chimney Rock because it would get too deep for them. So our house became a staging area for, you know, the people to get dropped off and then people to get transported to the Kroger parking lot, which was just a parking lot. It wasn't a shelter. The store wasn't open. I don't know if people were able to get any food or drinks inside there. But I just think that we were just in that perfect spot. And I honestly, I got to give credit to my little dog because if I hadn't stepped out at that moment, they wouldn't have known that we didn't have water in and our that house. And were there. And we just happened to be there when they were coming down. So I don't know. You, you got to wonder about the timing of everything. It was really something. And... You know, I've, I feel like just having people come into our home, the next boat, a lot of people came in, but they also just stayed in our backyard, you know, whatever. It was just a spot for them to stay until the next step. I, I don't feel like we did that much. I just feel like what we did what anybody would do is just help people who were in need because we were just so fortunate. We were just so fortunate. I think if we had had water in our house, the police probably would have said, well, we're not going to bother you guys. You've got enough on your hands and it still probably would have been okay if we just had a little bit of water you know but we were good we were high and dry and we just felt lucky that we could have helped other people you know in a time of the utmost uncertainty you know I just think we were at the right place at the right time I mean, I've been staring at Jackie, like literally <laughs> crying, not crying. It's crying. hard, you know, it's, it's, so, it's weird you, to relive this. You, you paint know? the picture so beautifully and so heartbreaking at the same time. And I just want to say thank you. 
well, to both of you. I feel like we just were glad. We're, I just think we were glad to be able to help yeah. somebody. Sure. And while you think, you know, it's not a big deal and you, and you joke, jokingly credit your dog for needing to go out, you know, thank God because the people see you all exactly the same way. We were on a boat. We had no idea where we were going. And for a quick second, they had a roof over their head because it was pouring rain. They had a roof over their head. They had bathrooms. They were not on a checkout counter. I can't even yeah. imagine. At an H-E-B. And there were little kids. How there were, were little how, kids. What was everybody's mood? I mean, what, what was, the, was the energy that you, like, they, pu- they pull up on the boat, or, they, you know, this high water vehicle. They've got three families. You're like, sure. Larry's like, yes. You bring them in. And then what are you doing? Well, they think the kids were okay. It yeah. seemed like I, the kids thought of this as a little bit of an adventure, maybe. Yeah, was I, everybody I, just sticking around the TV watching? Yeah, we just had the TV on watching. and uh, Not very talkative. I mean, they weren't, um, I mean, not in a rude way. I, I think they just had to have been in shock. And, and, you know, they again, they had spent all night long um, inside an HEB that had no power. Yeah. And, you know, waiting for what do we do. And I, I'm sure, you know, finally, at least it appeared to them as though, oh, somebody has a plan. I mean, they're bringing us to this spot. That's huge. And we're walking off the boat to somebody that seems to know we're coming. And um, and there were many boats. But, you know, maybe it was a really inspiring moment or, or helpful moment for them to see there's a plan. You know, we're getting off and the, the police officers are telling us you're going to stay here until the uh, SWAT vehicle comes to pick you up. Um, where at the moment they got on, I'm sh- on the boat, I'm sure they had no clue what, what the next move was. And I think the, for the first boat... Um, the dive team didn't know what the next move was going to be, but once they had a plan, it was little as it was that, that had to be helpful. But I, I remember them not, again, they weren't rude, but they, they were not very conversant. They were just, it seemed like exhausted. I'm sure they'd been up for hours, um, and scared for their own families and worried about their own safety. So yeah, it was a, it was an interesting kind of a surreal, um, as you said, energy level, it was kind of low energy, but, um, because you want to give people confused, space, right? Confused. Clearly, there are people trying to like continue their path of survival, like calling hotels, family members, family members, like that. right? And then you all are like, "Here's some towels." I see Jackie making sandwiches. She's bragging about her Keurig. Like, what did you do? Did you just go through coffee after coffee after? I think water was the big thing, and yeah. we always have a lot of water. And so I think had you all gone to the store anticipating Carby? Like, did you have well, a ton of? I stuff? actually have a funny story about that. Um, we have a little place in New Braunfels, and so we had been in New Braunfels the week before, and we have we had cousins that were there, and the local cousin lives in Clear Lake. Clear Lake Shores, and she had flooded before. So she and her family that had come in from California, we were having a great time tubing, enjoying New Braunfels like we do. And then here comes this threat in the Gulf. And so they left on Thursday to go, because our cousin down in Clear Lake, she knew that she was going to flood. Yeah. So they left. We weren't due to come back until Friday. And Larry says, we're going to be fine. It's not coming till Saturday. We're fine. But, you know. Well, by f- and I'll say, I mean, most of the week, it was always going to be, I think you mentioned it was. Um, always going to be Always going to be down in San Antonio, Hill Country, Rockport, yeah. Port Aransas. It wasn't going, it was going to work its way up through the state. It wasn't a Houston thing. So, you know, that, that certainly put us, at least me, a lot at ease. And at, and at the time, too, it was a tropical storm. It, it I think it's got some 
record out there for the quickest from tropical storm to category three or something like that. So, you know, it went in 24 hours from, oh, even if it, even if it comes to Houston, it's a tropical storm. And then 24 hours later, it's a major event and the course is, you know, has shifted. So that's when, when at that point, Jackie was getting much more like we need to stock up. Well, so Thursday night, our cousins had left. It was just the two of us. And we were, we're not supposed to come back until the next day. And I'm like, Larry. It's slim pickings. I, I, right. I'm, I'm <laughs> antsy. Slim pickings I'm, by that time. So we're in New Braunfels. And I said, at least let's get some water. That would make me feel better. And he's like, all right. Do you know we had to go to three places in New Braunfels? Completely oh sold gosh. out. To get water. And this was the Thursday night. Harvey made landfall along the Texas coast one day later. You know, he went to three places to get water. So we stocked up on water for who knows why, but we just did. And so you talk about buying a ton of water. The first rescue vehicle comes and drops off three families. And then they didn't stop. HPD says they think 200 people were on your corner lot. You think how many people? You know, it's hard to say because we had several families that came into the house and into the backyard. Anyone that had animals, there's a lot of dogs that came through, which we love, you know, they stayed outside. But Larry stayed a lot on the outside with the police. Um, so there, I think there were several people that stopped and they, I mean, we had, by that time we had water outside. And so, you know, we could help people outside and, and they didn't, and at that point, the, the pattern of the boats dropping off and the trucks picking up was more regular, more consistent. So sometimes people were dropped off and there was already even a, a vehicle waiting for, for them to take them off. So it was really hard to get a handle. Quick I mean, stop and goes. That, yeah, because not that many actually came into the house, but I do feel like a lot of people stopped here and could kind of regroup and do what they make phone to calls do. and do what they need to do and, and figure out where they were going to go from there. Jackie was so deliberate and detailed with the story of the first three families. Who do you remember the most, Larry? There was a woman with a dog and she uh, wanted to stay in the backyard and um, she was very appreciative of being here, but she and her daughter and the dog, I mean, they just had been through so much. Um, and it was just, a, I remember because I thought, what an interesting sight. They're sitting in our on our patio furniture. If it were any other day, it would look like a nice afternoon, you know, be sitting out in the backyard visiting with some friends. But, um, you know, it was quite the opposite. I mean, it was, it was just a terrible thing for them to have to deal with it. So, I, you know, I remember that, those two women and the dog um, and, and trying to give them some water and something to dry off with, a towel. Um, you know, they were going, they were trying to find a hotel um, and of course, anywhere that most people would have ended up at, it would have been, would have had plenty of food and water for them, whether it was family members, houses, friends, houses, hotels, whatever, there was food for them. But, you know, what about food for their animals? Yeah. And people love their animals as we do. And so I, I just put in Ziploc bags. I said, wherever you end up, here's some dog food. I didn't, we didn't have cat food. You know, I think we had tuna fish. We might have sent some tuna <laughs> fish off for the cats. But, you know, wherever you end up, again, my heart ached for them because were they going to end up in a place that would, A, take their animals, and B, have food for them? And so that was, you know, something I'm giving away. Little did I realize that we didn't have any spare dog food in our garage, so I, we gave away almost all of our dog food. But, you know, um, 
we're really happy as the days went on that we realized that a lesson learned from Katrina and other other storms is that people could shelter with their animals and so and then they there were places for them but for those people that were going to end up who knows where at least they could feed their dogs and their cats that was important to us too what were the families dressed in you know just shorts t-shirts whatever they were doing that day before they realized they could no they could no longer go home it was literally like outfits frozen in time i i will say that the grandmother with the infant yeah. i didn't see any diaper right. bag no I didn't uh, see anything. Had to be she six didn't. Months old? Oh, an infant, just an, less than six months old, and you know we don't have baby supplies here. You know I, I could send her with paper towels, but no it's bottle. like she was just caught off guard with nothing, and she didn't speak English. But her grandson was a very outgoing kid, and he translated for her. But I mean, we had nothing for a baby I, I we found some juice you know uh, but I I was looking in my pantry like what what can we offer a baby yeah that was tough these are things that people was tough. Ju- don't think about you think about when you hear that a storm is coming or that a natural disaster if you have any sort of heads up you think about what do me and my family need I mean who in their right mind is thinking at least on this home personal level like what does my entire neighborhood need? Who do I? No one thinks about that stuff until until it's time. Yeah. What was it like interacting with the police officers? How? Oh, how so did they, impressive. Were they I mean, exhausted too? Well, I mean, if they were, they didn't show it. They they were on a mission to help people, and they were soaking wet and you know having to wade through who knows what, and um. I'm so impressed by those guys. I'm telling you, the, you know, they, they're figuring it out as they're going along too. But, you know, they just as soon as the boats drop people off, man, they went out to go get more people. I mean, the helicopters flying overhead, they could off, you know, they could identify people on the roofs, and they were, you know, whether they the helicopters themselves were rescuing people or they were communicating with people on the ground or in the boat, saying you got someone on that street, someone on this street. I, f- I feel like from, from our little small vantage point, it was so impressive how many people were helped in that window. I mean, it, it was real. I mean, you could look up and just not one, not two, but maybe three, four helicopters in the area just circling around, just wow. trying to see if they could find people on their roofs. Rescuing I mean, that, them with buckets, like Larry said. Yeah, they were yeah. being pulled up. I, you know, I, I was outside with the police for quite a while. And and I would agree. I mean, they but they had such a human touch about it. They were not um, barking orders. I mean, they were very empathetic to what they were dealing with in these people and and wanting them to feel comfortable. It was it was really something to see. And at, at one point, two of the officers stayed on our driveway, um, kind of, and and then they go back for more people in boats. And um, I remember. You know, Jackie brought out a bunch of water bottles for the police officers and a whole bunch of breakfast bars for the police officers. And the two that were there were that stayed with me on the driveway. They were willing to take a couple of bottles of water for later. The others in the boats, they didn't want anything. They had to get back and get more people. You know, they didn't. I'm sure they'd been going 24 hours at that point. And um, you know, they didn't want to take a break to have a bottle of water or to have a breakfast bar while they were walking back. 
Um, so it was, it was remarkable focus, and then they get back here with those people, and and they were gentle, and they were holding. Because you mentioned the water was still moving at that yeah. point in the street, you know, and you don't want anybody to slip and fall on a curb that you can't see. So they they were very gentle and and very focused on on getting from point A to point B in the plan. So they they were outstanding, and um, I, I you know I don't remember the two gentlemen uh, that were the officers staying with me on. Uh, the driveway, but they were pointing out, especially for Captain Bainbridge, they had said, you, you know, Larry, you have no idea how unique it is to have a captain out here in the muck with us. Um, they said, I can probably guess that most other captains are doing things, but they're not in the street in the water pushing. And they said, we're so f- lucky to have him on our team. So, um, you know, it was, it was, like I said, they, they you know, it, it humanizes it um, in a tough situation. It really brought it back to the personal level. If you want to hear how personal, there's an episode of Conversations with Correa that features Houston Police SWAT Captain Larry Bainbridge and his wife, HPD Assistant Chief Wendy Bainbridge. The two of them are class acts who are the epitome of public servants, especially when you realize their own home flooded during Harvey. Again, that podcast episode is also available now. Could you feel, I know people were quiet, they were doing all of the things they needed to do to kind of advance to the next step. At any point, could you feel frustration or complete and utter sadness, like inability to cope from any of the people that had crossed your paths? Just people so freaked out, felt like the world was imploding in on them. Well, the woman with the two young girls, uh, the girls were watching TV and, you know, having their snack and she was in our kitchen and I could hear her. I think she must've been talking to her husband and, um, she was very upset. She was really upset. What did she say? I, I, I didn't listen in. I just felt like I could hear from the tone of voice that she was crying it. She was, you know, and she was probably trying to shield her, you know, her just emotion. Yeah. Her total you know, uh, being so upset and not knowing what to do. She was trying to shield that from her girls. Cause I, like I said, I think the, the kids, well, you know, now they're in someone's house and they're eating and, and they oh. got to spend the night in a grocery store and all that. So maybe, you know, it's, I guess, you know, kids are more for, resilient for youth. It's kind of, you know, they just don't know the repercussions and that yeah, they, they just kind of live, what's going on live in easily. the moment. Yeah. And, but I could tell for this mom, you know, as a, as a mom, you, you want to protect your kids. And she was at this point when she, she couldn't protect them. She didn't know where she was going to go. She couldn't, she didn't have the support of her husband with her because she couldn't, they couldn't get get together. together. And, um, that's, that's pretty tough. That, that was pretty tough. Did you insert yourself into her shoes? Like what? Well, I, I just, you know, said if there's anything I can do to help, you know, whatever you need. But for us, we were just a stopping point, you know, at, my heart just ached for her, really did. So at any point in time, as all these people were coming up on your driveway, as you're going through bottles of water, bagging up dog food, what was the conversation between you and your husband as far as what to do with everybody on your property? Was that overwhelming for the two of you? I mean, were you... I think you just you just go through the motions. You just, you don't stop and think, you know, we can't do this anymore or we're going to run out of our own supplies. That thought never crossed our minds. I I didn't, 
I think we just, no. you know, I think that we really had never had an opportunity to assist law enforcement in that way. I think it was an opportunity for us to do our little part. And I think it was just like, whatever you need, what we're fine, we're fine, you know? And um, I don't think it ever, you know, I think for us, it was just, yeah, you, know, I, you, know how, you know, like, I'm sorry, Larry, to interrupt, but, you know, when you talk about just volunteering in general, and people always say, you know, volunteering makes you feel good. You know, you're not getting paid, but you're doing something that, that helps somebody or something or, you know, and, and that's such a good feeling that that's, you can't really put a price on that. Yeah. And I think that's how we felt. It's just like, we're able to do something because we're in the right place at the right time. And it, I don't think it ever crossed our mind as like, okay, this, this has got to stop. We can't, we can't do it. For us, it's just like, let's keep doing this until the water recedes, the trucks can go further. And ultimately, that's what ended up happening. But for us, it was just like you we never just, met with Jackie in the hallway and was like, "You good? We good? You know, we can were, we do anything We were back else? and forth with people, and you know, uh, you know, taking care of the the people that were being dropped off. Yeah, I, I don't think it ever it never felt overwhelming. It might have. I keep going back to the police. You know that if people had just started walking from their homes and stopping at our place saying, can I come in and go to the bathroom? And and then we you know had ten or twenty or thirty or fifty or eighty. That would have maybe been completely overwhelming, but um, like I said, the police uh, probably didn't have a plan until they got to our house and they made it up, but they sure made at least me on the outside feel like we got a plan. You know, somebody's calling that next SWAT truck to come and pick up. So so the there was a process, and uh, they, they executed it. We did what we could with, again, trying to make people comfortable and take care of their immediate needs for bathroom and food and water. Uh, but it wasn't overwhelming because they were sort of working their plan, which they made up on the spot, but they were working it. Once they had it, they worked it, and um, we could sort of delegate that pressure to them. And so the city of Houston at the same time is working on a plan, and by Sunday afternoon or so, Mayor Turner and Judge Ed Emmett hold a press conference announcing that the GRB is going to be opening up as a shelter that Sunday at what point in time did people stop getting dropped off at your house? Oh, gosh, it was late in the afternoon on Sunday, four or five o'clock, maybe probably around five o'clock on Sunday. And how did you realize that? Like, were you just on the driveway and you yeah, realized? Yeah, exactly. Were... We were just on the driveway. They didn't. They didn't say we're done. We we're just on the driveway. Keep looking for another boat. And after a while, you know, thirty minutes goes by and a new boat didn't come. We we figured they know how to knock on the door and. There might have been one, maybe, and now that I say that, there might have been one time where I went back inside thinking I haven't seen a boat, and then they came around and were knocking on the door to see if they could leave another group. But eventually, just no more boats, so we figured they know how to knock on the door if they need us. And so then you all do what? Take a nap? <laughs> <laughs> well, then, okay. You know, well, then it started raining again. Um, after that, there was a little brief... Uh, lull. Lull there, very brief, and kept raining, and... Um, Look at our uh, weather expert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, the 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 actually add-on kind of funny thing to that is my sister-in-law lives in England, and we had been on the phone with them because you know they were aware of what was going on, and she kept asking Jackie, "Do you guys have a plan? I mean, it's still raining. What's your plan?" And you know, my brilliant plan was I had garbage bags out trying to seal the doors, you know, as a extra layer of 
weather stripping, hoping that would do it. So, yeah, we, we went back into, <laughs> you know, at least it was a deterrent. It scared off the water. So we went into the mode of trying to do what we could if the water really kept coming even into the house. Could we seal the doors a little more so that it wouldn't be yeah, as... My sister, you know, she's like, okay, you're putting plastic around the doors, but do you have a plan? She, that wasn't yeah. enough of a plan. <laughs> They're like, her. don't worry, guys, we're good. That was not enough we're, of a plan. We're pros. So it wasn't like... You didn't sit on the couch even for a second and just realize, okay, the house is quiet again. Okay, it's just us. At what point did you have the time to look at the news and the television and realize that what was happening in your backyard was happening at homes all across the city? Like on Sunday, news was nothing but rescues and boats and and rain. I would say probably Sunday evening is when. Yeah, I don't even remember quiet. that. But yeah, most of the day we didn't watch the news because we were. You had we were no idea. You were lot. just so busy. You had no idea the scope of it. Yeah. Yeah, not until Sunday night, probably. Yeah, because Meyerland, because it's so prone to flooding, it could have easily been one of those things like, yes, it's bad here, but it's, but it's probably not bad all over. Right. And then you you watch the news and you realize, oh my gosh. Even places like Kingwood that really had never experienced that. And, you know, just so many parts of town that this was the first time. This what, was dropped the first your, time. what dropped your jaw then? Well, I, I guess for us, just our family, you know, so much of our family was so impacted. Yeah. I think for us, it was local. Just, yeah, we've seen the water high before, but never this far back from the bayou. Right. You know, that it had always kind of stopped a few streets closer, but for where we are, the water never had gotten this far back, and it did that time. So I think for us, it was just just the sheer volume of water. And I think the, the you know, moved it to another level of, oh my gosh, this is really different, was seeing all the helicopters, and not the news helicopters, the rescue helicopters. Yeah. You know, Coast Guard. literally, you know, a block away, two blocks away hovering uh, and then coming back after they drop people off probably at that Kroger and then you know having people uh, two blocks away you can see the little cables going so to see that looking like a military operation in a residential neighborhood uh, is just something I can't get out of my head I mean you know they're loud Um, you know they're helping people that uh, had to be in a tough spot that that trucks couldn't get to them and you know how many people can come out on a kayak and um, we had some cousins that were taken out of their house on jet skis. Uh, jet skis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to see helicopters, I just raised it to a different level that I couldn't even imagine. Did any of those people ever come back? No. Never saw them again. Never saw them again. No. You've never seen them again. Mm-hmm. Just Captain Bainbridge. He's the only one that came back. So. <laughs> Larry Bainbridge is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, but, that was a nice, very nice compliment. Yeah. And he came back. Not empty-handed. Let's talk about the thing that's on the dining room table. Well, I'll tell you, he came back the first time. He's come back more than once. But the first time he came back, um, he came back and he said he just, he scared me a bit because we have a glass front door. And when he knocked at the door, um, you know, I went to to go see and here's this guy in fatigues with a gun. (laughs) I know I didn't do anything, but, you know, you just don't see that every day. So he came back to, number one, personally just thank us for what we did. And he said he wanted to get our names, um, you know, in case the city ever does anything. So, you know, I I was, that was above and beyond 
anything I would have ever imagined uh, in my wildest dreams. And then a few months goes by, and um, he comes back, and he knocks at the door again, and this time we, we were home, and the cousin that's from Clear Lake was staying with us because she can't go back to her house. Anyway, he knocks on the door, and he brings us this certificate of appreciation for sheltering <clears throat> you know people and it's got this the, the patches from the uh, SWAT uh, team the dive team the bomb squad and he and he brings that by as a personal thank you and he said you know I don't know if the city's going to do anything or not there was so much chaos going on I just took the liberty of making this up for you uh, specifically because you did so much to help us out that day so he, he made it happen on his own. And so this is what it says. The Houston Police Department Certificate of Appreciation is hereby presented to Larry and Jackie Sklar in recognition of your generous assistance and support while providing your home as a temporary shelter to over 100 people and pets as they were rescued by the Houston Police Department's SWAT and dive team personnel during the Hurricane Harvey weather event. It's pretty awesome. I love the patches. Anybody coming in our house has to see it. It's on proud yeah. display. Yeah, it's very And he did special. it on his own. Yeah. He did it on his own. I just, above and beyond, he really didn't need to do that, but it Neither was really did you guys. When are you all going to accept that part? <laughs> <laughs> that you all didn't have to do it either. We think that, and I think we'd like to think that we would come across people who would do this. But the reality is especially in a traumatic situation like that, not everyone is even mentally capable to handle that, financially ready to take on, you know, clearing out essentially house and home for people. What you did is love and kindness and you didn't see it stopping. Not everybody does that. Well, Thank you. If yeah, they we did, <laughs> we would live in a much better place. But you know what? I'm thankful that you all live in Houston because this city's awesome. Yeah, it is pretty awesome. We're both native Houstonians, so we. This is home. This is home yeah. forever. So. Yeah. yeah. And even as a remind you of what you do, Larry refuses to make eye contact with me. It's just like <laughs> I'm staring at Jackie are, the whole time. <laughs> you all are so <laughs> uncomfortable about hearing it. Uh, Larry does not like attention on him. But no. But no. No, this is, you know, Houston is a great place. And, um, you know, it may not be the most beautiful, touristy place to visit, but there's just so much to do here and there's great people and it's where our family is for the most part. So this this is our home. And you all stepped in to help because you felt just the call to do it immediately. And then it didn't stop because you're reminded right of, of how many family members and neighbors you help about Larry being the mm -hmm. sheetrock king of Meyerland, yeah. <laughs> you know, putting and cutting and doing all of that stuff up. And here we are a year out and the work is still being done, huh? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. We have out of the five family, <clears throat> family members of ours that were flooded out of their homes, um, one, two of them are still not back in their home. And, you know, it's a variety of things. It's it's slowness with insurance. It's slowness with um, uh, getting a contractor. Lot lots of different things. But we have two that are still not back in their home, and and um, it's not anything that's right around the corner for them. So yeah, and it's it's a 
it's a long time. It's a long and that time. is what's so heartbreaking <clears throat> because I think when people look at the fourth largest city in the U.S. and they realize that we were quick to get debris off the streets, the water was quick to recede. I mean, everybody came essentially to our rescue and remembered us. They think because of all of that and the World Series that we're okay. But the reality is, is even with all of that help, it takes so much to recover. Oh, there's still so much to do. There really is. And, you know, individuals, businesses, infrastructure of the city. I You've mean, lost just... neighbors in the sense that they've moved away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The neighborhood is, is really never going to be the same. We'll rebuild and it's going to get better. But with so many people who aren't coming back and the houses demolished or raised, you know, it's just... Uh, it's different now. It's different now. And it's sad because I'm sure a lot of people thought they were going to live in the neighborhood forever. This was home. But how many times can you be beaten down like that and, you know, just bounce back up again? People are just, they just can't go through it anymore. It's really a shame. It really is. But though, hopefully the people will look at this as a resili- resilient neighborhood and we're in a great location, and it's beautiful, and we'll come back stronger. Yeah. And, I, and I think, I mean, you, you see it everywhere, whether it's around Houston or other places that have issues. You know, people find a way to adapt. They find a way to recreate and, and adapt to the situation, whatever it is. And, and, you know, people not, you know, from Houston and not knowing the flooding and, and that sort of thing might look at what is happening in the neighborhood with houses getting flattened and rebuilt up on stilts or uh, lots of houses being raised um, six, seven, eight feet up in the air. And they probably look at that and say, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. And I might look at, you know, what they do in Michigan to protect from, uh, you know, a blizzard as that's crazy. You guys need to do that. That's unbelievable. Or family that's in California talking about having to bolt things to walls in case of an earthquake. So people find a way to adapt to whatever their circumstances are. It takes time, you know, and learn lessons and and keep tweaking it. But um, that's that'll be the neighborhood coming back and it's going to be adapted to the potential, you know, uh, uh, for new flooding. What do you think Houston Strong means? To me, it means that pretty much no matter what happens, that Houstonians will deal with it. They'll take care of their business and, you know, hopefully come back stronger. And, you know, we're all smarter about floods now and uh, unfortunately learning from experience. But I think it's a matter of, you know, just dealing with it, asking for help if you need it, providing help if you can, and just building just a a closer-knit community. Yep. uh, It's the the giving – welcoming nature of the people here um everywhere you turned people wanted to help and stepped up and and did help um and so yeah to me the houston strong is just gosh the the willingness to step up and do what they can do to help no questions asked all of those things plus a little divine intervention yeah god used the two of you very nicely thank you don't you think well i do feel like we were at the right place at the right time. Someone put us here. Someone stopped the water. Yeah, we didn't right make at it the happen. Porch. We didn't make someone it happen. Someone told your dog, time to it's go. It's time to go. <laughs> time and, to someone, be, and someone convinced Larry to stop three times in New Braunfels yes. for water. I, <laughs> that would be divine Jackie. <laughs> yeah, he, he thought that was 
a little a little too much, but in the end, it worked out worked out well. Yeah. As we approach the one year anniversary, do you all plan on doing anything? Come Monday morning on the day, the one year anniversary, August twenty seventh, will you go out on your driveway and look down <laughs> Chimney Rock? <laughs> And hopefully appreciate and, uh, a nice, clear, yeah, dry and be day. You don't yeah. see a boat. Yes. Yeah, th- yeah. I really can't ever get that vision out of my head of the that boat and coming down and the helicopters. That just no, we we appreciate every day that's beautiful. A little rain every now and then for the grass, but you know we um, we just feel like we just need to count our blessings all the time. Yeah, and. In the rare chance that one of the people who happened to be stopped at your home that day for whatever reason to make a phone call inside, outside to use the bathroom, in the chance that they're listening, what would you like to say to them? I just hope they're okay. I hope that everything turned out okay for them. Right. I hope right. that their families and their homes turned out okay because they sure they sure got a rough start to this thing. Hopefully they found a safe place to land and comfortable and that I hope everybody's back in their homes now. It's hard to say, but hopefully everybody's back. Right. And apparently now you need to list your home on Airbnb because it's a hot <laughs> commodity. <laughs> they have to like the dogs. That's the issue. <laughs> Jackie and Larry Sklar, owners of the B&B. <laughs> Not a bad Blood idea. Blood home. Not a bad idea. <laughs> you all were terrific. You think we need anything else? Not that I can I think, think of. I don't so. Larry and Jackie Sklar, guys, love them, love them. Listen, I said at the beginning, in this special series, we're zooming in on the Harvey experience. From Houston police who navigated rescues during a historic flood to the Sklars who found a way to help hundreds of people to Elaine Maxwell, who lived out 16 hours of Harvey in her attic with her autistic son. The sound of rain still scares her one year later. Elaine's story is coming up next. But for now, that's a wrap on this conversation. Thank you so much for listening. Be safe and hashtag Houston Strong.